welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Katie Fox, National Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Victim Support. We talk about Katie's move into the charity sector and how EDI can be represented by charities and advocated for actively to create positive working cultures and the impact on wider societal issues. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders, who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So without further ado, here is Casey Fox speaking about equality, diversity and inclusion. I'm delighted to be joined by Katie Fox, National Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Victim Support. Katie, welcome to Charity Chats. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Fantastic. It's our pleasure. And I suppose the first question really for you is, what's your background? What's led you to where you are today as the National Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Victim Support? Yeah, so I guess maybe a, a slightly different journey to um, lots of people, but unexpected to a degree. So I, when I left university, where I started was actually an extras casting for film and TV. So finding all your people oh, wow. that you've got. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit unexpected to a degree. So my, my kind of degree was all around media and cultural studies. And my passion had always really been in film and TV. And I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. That's what I want to do when I'm older, for as long as I could remember. Um especially during my time at university actually I remember sort of obviously conversations around stereotyping the way that obviously the media influences kind of our reality what we understand of people which I found so interesting and was like a real focus area for me but still was adamant confident like yeah want to work with film and tv um which I did and I was incredibly privileged and lucky to do for a, a number of years um but it was actually during that time especially I think it was seeing those stereotypes play out in day-to-day decisions on on the smaller scale obviously they're like background extras but actually that makes up a huge amount of the overall pitch that you see on screen and the reality that you have and so as you can imagine just and again I think it was the repetition of small things so like looking for a nurse you don't ever want to see women offered up as options for that looking for a doctor always a man looking um for a character who's lgbt having a very specific look so that always kind of thing of like there's one way to be something or one way to look a certain way and i think through time i got to space i was like this really doesn't align with my values and i feel like i'm perpetuating a system which i, I don't agree with sort of thing so i began to think maybe this isn't exactly the role for me i'd like to be changing things doing something differently and it was kind of happenstance to a degree, but my wife saw that there was a role at Stonewall, the LGBT equality charity, and was like, you've been saying you really care about equality and this is what you want to be doing, like, why don't you go for it? And I did. And it was one of the most, I guess, like life-changing experiences. I would I, said, I didn't know that equality, diversity and inclusion was a job, if that makes sense, and like a field in and to itself, which I guess until relatively recent history, it wasn't like the biggest field. There weren't huge numbers of roles, not just especially within the charity sector, there weren't huge numbers of roles available. So it never really felt like an option. Whereas whilst I worked there, what I got to do was work with organisations all across private, public, third sector, specifically on LGBT equality, but really got to see what those roles looked like, what you did, how you made those interventions. And it was kind of from there that I was like, this is what I want to be doing. This is making the difference. This is kind of touching people's lives, which sounds maybe a bit corny, doesn't it? But that's kind of where the, the fire began, yeah. Moving from 
the sector you'd been in to to working at Stonewall in the charity sector was that a, a big shift for you yeah kind yeah. Of, yeah yeah it was in 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 a number like in really positive ways and I think going from obviously a very kind of like profit driven environment where often it was kind of the bottom line was invariably the focus and that often what happened as a result is values went to one side or it was kind of you're always chasing kind of what, what was coming next and I think especially within actually film and tv obviously the majority of that is all self-employed as well so especially again thinking in terms of kind of employment protections and ability to raise an issue or flag a concern um is a completely different world to kind of working within it's like a registered charity it has like a more formal environment to a degree but I think is that it for me it was really that values piece and about it being as like an overarching mission rather than sort of being just constant individual projects a real sense of churn and instead of that if you had a concern it was quite difficult to raise it because if you did it was sort of well that's the direction we're going in this is what we want those people to look like you're welcome to your thoughts but I'm not going to listen to you kindly that kind of approach so I think and entering a space where we're sort of no we want to know when there are concerns and this is like a facilitative environment and we're actually want to develop people and we're going out of our way to listen to the most marginalized groups of people and kind of uplift those I said it was just it was like a 360 nearly I didn't know myself for a short period of time it was sort of just a whole new world to a degree which just really I said it opened my eyes and I think really made me reevaluate why it was that I thought I wanted to do what I wanted to do and what my real passions were which which was amazing I was so fortunate to have that experience and I guess Stonewall is a charity I don't know much about Stonewall I haven't, haven't um, spoken to someone from Stonewall before I don't think but I, I imagine that the diversity and inclusion is at the core of what Stonewall does, perhaps more so than other uh, charities. Is that, do you think that's right? Yeah, so they are kind of, at least very much began and are a campaigning organisation specifically sure. on LGBT equality. So you said it is very much, I think, you hope to agree that across diversity inclusion is at the core of all charities because of the nature of kind of our beneficiaries and kind of there being a, a vision and a mission, I guess. Mm. But I think, yeah, within Stonewall, there was obviously a very clear and particular focus, um, as I said, around LGBT equality, but kind of more intersectionally and broader than that. And I think that that did really help me, I think, especially in terms of that journey towards equality, diversity, inclusion, in terms of it's like understanding what the core and key issues were from like a policy perspective but also what that lived experience was mm. and then kind of a, an arm of what they do is specifically related to supporting organizations that are working across sectors across fields to embed kind of those principles in, in a real world context that I guess makes it a little bit more um, understandable for lots of people so when you're like what does LGBT equality mean in the workplace what's it got to do with me why do you need to be able to be out all those like classic questions or comebacks that you get when you're like well actually what it looks like is that your policies look like this what training do you do do you have staff networks so it's kind of like I guess really making tangible what can sometimes you attend a pride event and see a rainbow and you're like that's amazing but what does that mean on a day-to-day -day basis of kind of like how you you bring those two together and bring people along for the journey was a really great learning experience from from that How's your current role? You've talked about this a little bit already, but how's it? How's your current role framed? How do you see the world around you and live your life? And what learnings would you want our listeners to take away and implement in their own lives? Yeah, so I think um, 
kind of moving across to working within victim support it was like a really I was really excited for I guess kind of like a new challenge instead of like working across equality diversity inclusion like as a whole and in the round and also especially an organization where I guess it to a degree it's quite implicit and I think people would assume that anyway that obviously the intersection between kind of discrimination and othering and crime are quite mm. clear to, to lots of people's minds but I think quite often when we do that we immediately draw our mind to hate crime without kind of obviously being like a, a visual representation instead like of othering of a kind of a system of systemic um, discrimination whereas actually like crime is so much more than either just hate crime or just kind of like one category of crime so mm. in terms of like domestic abuse sexual violence fraud terrorism within victim support we support kind of a, a real wide variety um, of victims um, witnesses and, and survivors as well um, across kind of the various different services that we run and I think for me that's been one of like the really biggest takeaways is just learning to understand like how much crime touches people's lives but actually so often it feels quite distant from lots mm. of us so whether it's like oh that's the thing that you read about on the news or that's what happens in certain parts of the community but not where I live um mm. or obviously on the other hand potentially spending large amounts of your life waiting for a crime to happen so if you're thinking about hate crime if you belong to a marginalized group and you're a particularly um visible member of that group um kind of that risk of victimization and kind of that weight that is carried on a daily basis potentially like waiting for those instances to happen so often especially when we talk about hate crime we talk about kind of like the drip drip effect that right. it isn't just one-off large events it's the day-to-day microaggressions it's the comment on the bus it's the thing that was said at work as said mm. i think when we think of hate crime we think of like physical acts of sure. violence purely yeah. and solely whereas actually obviously it's, it's many small things lead up to those events in exactly the same way that with domestic abuse and kind of sexual violence um that is obviously part of a system of like gendered violence in a world in which we live and you don't go from naught to domestic abuse as a series of events in between mm. and I think kind of what in terms of I've is like the taken away or within my own life is that it's trying to just be more open to those conversations and the reality of that that can happen to anyone in all people's lives However, there are particular groups of people that are far more likely to be victimised or to be at risk of victimisation and that we need to be far more open about those conversations and kind of acknowledging that also within those groups, lots of people have huge barriers to accessing justice and accessing support as well as where that's because people have a hesitancy about reporting to the police or just a fearfulness about kind of if I pick up that phone and say that I've been a victim of fraud how am I going to be responded to and kind of the the shame that lots of people carry in relation to all different types of crime and kind of the, the history that's brought with people um yeah has been like a, a, a really it, and it's still a, a journey it's like I don't come from a criminal justice background so kind of picking up lots of that language and understanding um has been been a journey but I think that actually coming from a basis of understanding the nature of being othered and of discrimination and just from that perspective that we know different people experience life differently and along that route crime often intersects with poverty and with marginalization as well and that's why it's so so important that within victim support and the criminal justice system more broadly as well as all charities we have that kind of that golden thread of equality mm. diversity and inclusion because it does so often sit at the core of kind of some of the issues that we're trying to deal with in like a more preventative way rather than just being we support people and deal with the issue of crime it's actually how do we reduce the likelihood of crime and kind of the likelihood of harm as well hearing you speak kind of made me kind of think about the 
I suppose, anxiety and stress in society. And obviously at the moment, you know, we've got all these kind of broad um, life affecting things that are happening to all people, if not most people, um, such as, you know, well, we had COVID, which still is going on, but it's kind of been uh, overshadowed now, by I suppose cost of living crisis, you know, war in Ukraine, all these different things. There's a level of anxiety. I had a conversation recently where we were talking about how do we, people not watching the news so much anymore but in your role and I suppose in in the roles for a lot of people working in charities you know on our daily in our daily lives in our work we're talking to people that we're trying to help but I suppose part of that residual um kind of transfer of stress that we could potentially get from understanding more about some of the terrible things that are happening to people how do you how do you go about managing your own mental health and well-being in that context? It's a really interesting question, I think, especially in the context is it, of victim support specifically, um, because we often talk about being a trauma-informed organisation. Again, that, that's mm. not distinct just to victim support. That's kind of across victims and survivor services more generally. And I said that, I guess that's more of like an external focus to a degree, but it has a massive impact on like our staff and volunteers as well, that in, in terms of being, I said, trauma kind of informed and trauma aware means being constantly mindful of as I said again that the, the small impact that can lead to large impacts mm. of the way in which just we communicate with people the way that within somebody's journey through the criminal justice system for example having to constantly retell your own story of that incident that is deeply traumatizing in itself re-traumatizes mm. you and as a result your behavior is likely to be kind of different to what might be expected or again even just an expectation that there is a way to behave as a victim mm. of crime kind of the well, why aren't they crying or why is it that they're not angry because there's no one way to respond right. and I think that kind of those actually those principles of kind of being trauma-informed or trauma-aware should apply to all of us to all mm. organizations mm. and again especially through that lens of equality diversity and inclusion um when thinking about kind of the emotional labor that often we put on people from marginalized groups and again lots of EDI practitioners um have that lived experience so I am a gay woman um and I am very happy to talk about that and I have often kind of in public events and kind of within the workplace as well because I'm really happy to kind of share my own experience mm. but it doesn't come without a cost and I think sure. sometimes especially in the space of where we are trying to do the best we can and to advance equality. We can quite often put our own needs to one side and maybe even not realizing we're re-traumatizing ourselves. It kind of in the process. I think the that element of, of self-care for, for me personally has very much been trying to assert some boundaries, even if I don't necessarily think I need them right at that time. I'm actually being like, do you know what? I don't have to kind of tell that story on the trot six right. days in a row yeah, or yeah. You, know what? you can turn Twitter off for a bit or you can stop looking at Instagram at certain points mm. and kind of I think giving yourself the, the space to say that's that's okay that doesn't mean that I'm not doing my job it doesn't mean that I'm not kind of committed to the cause it means that I am committed and to keep doing that I need to give the time to myself and that mm. I need to kind of reflect on what that means and kind of touch base with how that feels and I think that that is a really recurring theme that I know lots of people that kind of work in EGI roles is that kind of the, the fatigue and emotional burnout especially when your day job is so closely related to 
who you are as an mm. individual um, can have a really profound impact. And so often equality, diversity, and inclusion roles are often standalone, as in like they aren't always surrounded by a large team of people. Um, it's not kind of like a huge directorate, it's like quite often a consultative or people do it freelance as well. And I think can be quite lonely in that way. So kind of creating those networks of people reaching out, um, which increasingly, especially in kind of the third sector, they're having more and more of this space is created, which has been amazing just to hear that other people are in a similar kind of space I think quite often feels quite reassuring of being like oh yeah it is okay for me to take that time out it is okay for me to sort of have that hour or so where I'm not going to look at the news um and again I think that applies to to everybody as well more generally like you said it kind of the the period of time we're currently living through anxiety levels are high and kind of prioritizing self-care feels at times indulgent but is essential um otherwise we just can't do what we kind of we want to be doing What can charities do to create more equity, diversity and inclusion across their work? And how important is it that they do this? Big. <laughs> Bring out the big questions. <laughs> um, so I think the, the, the how important is it is kind of, it's about unpicking, I think, for me, the, the why. And again, that maybe sounds mm. quite cheesy, but about like for each and every organisation, that why should be different there's there's the universal why of like it's the right thing to do um just at a purely human level of that like Mm. we know inequality exists and we should be striving to a place where all people can achieve their potential again like your classic taglines that hopefully most people are aware of um and i think sometimes that also then falls into another kind of classic narrative which is around like air quote the business case for edi Mm. which although Mm. historically has sometimes been powerful and does sometimes make senior leaders voices or kind of ears listen like oh it has like a financial benefit um is essentially putting kind of a a capital number on people and on lived experiences so I think actually like trying to get us moving away from that narrative that I think for many years in the field of EGI that was like a real reliance of like in order to sell this to get people to buy in we're going to have to tell them kind of how it improves your profit line or how it makes you more productive. But that's that's a very interesting point because I think that also connects back to this question about um, kind of how important it is or not even a question but you know fact how important it is to have a diverse board because again I suppose part of that from my point of view anyway um part of that business case um narrative is could be seen reading between the lines of how do we sell this to our board how do we as the leadership team in this organization how do we get the board not breathing down our necks saying where's the money from this if you have a board arguably that's more diverse that's more open and understanding of these types of things hopefully you would hope anyway that this would be part of their objectives right yeah, completely. And, and I think that's exactly it, is that it, it, it's creating the the organic why, which and, and that will be, it should be different for each charity, for each organisation. But I think it's when you get people genuinely invested and in understanding their individual why, we then move away from these arguments we said about kind of the, basically the profit line related to EDI, because I think when you do that, the issue is like the metrics for EDI are completely different to like, I mean, a production line, like, is yeah. people and things don't change overnight when we're talking about kind of systems that have been created over hundreds of years. Mm. 
pumping money into that issue is great and it doesn't need to happen and it needs investment it can't happen without it however the game is long kind of like it's not a oh in six months we'll be looking at the kpis and see what difference you've made which again like with especially board recruitment i know so many charities that have repeatedly said that like but we've used a different recruiter we've changed the job path we've changed other website we've done xyz things and it's just not happening mm. do we stop and it's like no you don't you've got to keep going out you've got to keep kind of swinging that bat and saying this commitment is a long-term game and again that's where moving away from just thinking about it financially is what creates a long-term commitment it's by saying actually we're principled enough to understand that we are part of a wider system we might be reliant upon the things outside of our organization things that we can't control but we'll do everything we can to open those doors set the table make it inviting so that kind of as and when people do come through, we're here and we're available. It's not kind of a six-month campaign or a three-year strategy. It, mm-hmm. It's embedded within the values that we have. And I think that, that for me, as I said, is, is around the kind of the why is it so important is because actually, as charities especially, it should just be wedded with like part of the cause. The reason why the whole sector exists is to bring benefit and to make a more equal society. Um, so I think it, it's coming back to those principles as I said but thinking about it in, a, in your own context because again I think kind of that part of the question you were saying around sort of you know how do we create that environment again there is a I guess like a really rough roadmap of things that we think you should check in on so kind of like do you have a policy that actually explains to people what bullying harassment looks like mm. but also do people actually have even any level of confidence within that and again that confidence will feel and look different in each organization kind of the nature of the training that people will probably need will be very different if you're a charity that's working with victims of crime compared to a campaigning organization so said there's there is like a bit of a roadmap and there's like a variety of amazing writers much more articulate than me um which can definitely give those recommendations but i think that's from from my experience you say we having i said working i guess maybe a slightly more consultative manner with lots of organizations at times is just how different that journey is and how powerful actually that is that i think members of staff and also members of kind of the communities and beneficiaries I think feel much more heard seen and again coming on that journey when they can see how and why it relates to them and their charity rather than it being like oh yeah we're doing it because they did this because that person did this but none of it feels personal it all feels a little bit tokenistic or as I said sort of the flash in the pan approach rather than it being like I can see completely how and why this is wedded to the mission the mission of kind of what we do as a charity. How do you see the charity sector contributing to the efforts to reduce the systemic issues that might cause crime? Yeah, so I think, I guess, as I said kind of earlier, that that the nature of crime in into itself is kind of com- compounding in terms of like dependent upon a series of life events and or even necessarily just parts of your own identity, the likelihood of victimization becomes so much higher. So it's a kind of, I guess, to a degree, like, crime is a product of inequality, discrimination and hate that also then kind of, and that obviously intersects with the aims of so many charities and organisations. So whether you're a charity that's working around kind of reducing poverty, whether you're supporting refugees um, around social justice or climate change, actually all of those charities and kind of parts of the charity sector have at least some form of touch point with something that relates to crime invariably one of the biggest dominators is that 
ease poverty or kind of and homelessness, for example, and kind of, I said again, discrimination and othering so often are the driving factors of many parts of crime by no means all but I said we so often see within the people that we support but also actually obviously going to the criminal justice system from kind of an offender's point of view again kind of the cycle of crime for many people is so kind of so prevalent that we see all the time and I think that's kind of where I guess the the charity sector as a whole, un, un, not say unknowingly, but I think to a degree unintentionally is having an impact, but we don't necessarily think about it in that way. I think often when we think of crime, as I said, we think about hate crime and see that as purely a social justice issue, or we think about violence against women and girls and that being a purely gendered issue, mm. rather than actually thinking about, well, lots of domestic abuse is underpinned by economic abuse, which is driven by inequities, whether that's because of lower levels of employment, but then also because of kind of the lessons that young boys are taught within schools and young girls, and those levels of empowerment, if you're living in a part of the country um, where employment is much lower, again, there are increased risks and likelihoods um, of kind of coming into contact with the nature of crime. So mm. I think it's, it's kind of all part of like a much wider patchwork. And I think we, there's still a long way to go. We're not always necessarily the best I think across all sectors, but within the charity sectors are being completely joined up in terms of understanding kind of how those pieces come together. And I think we're, we're starting to see it more, especially, for example, around kind of um, climate mm. kind of justice and climate mm. crisis, like especially those intersections with racism, for example. And I think, again, hopefully that's something that we can continue to learn within kind of parts of the charity sector work around kind of criminal justice that actually we're so much stronger when we work in collaboration with um, other charities and that's not purely just from a support basis that's also preventative in terms of that if we can actually reduce so many of the drivers for crime obviously hopefully we then have far less victims and survivors mm. um and that kind of reduces the the need for the services and support kind of following experiences of crime as well katie fox thank you for contributing to charity chats thank you so much for having me it's great to talk to you big thank you to Katie Fox for sharing her knowledge and insights with us here on Charity Chats. Katie talked about the many small things that lead up to hate crime and that crime often intersects with poverty and marginalisation. The work of many of our charities is either directly or indirectly working to reduce poverty, marginalisation and other intersecting challenges. Each step that we make to address these issues is a move in the direction of reducing crime and potentially decreasing the chances that we and our loved ones will be victims of it. Katie also raised the challenge that those experiencing trauma and seeking to help others with theirs risk further trauma by reliving these stories on a regular basis. There seems to be a thin line between coming to terms with our past traumas and bringing them up too much in our everyday lives. Like many of the well-being and mental health episodes that we've had on the show, one main theme is that we must all allow ourselves time and space to recharge and have the professional and personal support networks in place to keep us well.
In each organization, the why EDI might be slightly different, but it's important for organizations to be clear about the value of EDI both within the world and also specific to their work. This has the power to resonate with both those within your organization and those that your organization is engaging with and avoids tokenistic approaches to EDI. The business case or financial benefit is perhaps a misnomer, reducing the human value to numbers. Wedding EDI to your mission as a charity is the answer to making it authentic, long-term and effective. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners, and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Also, I'd like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And Forrester Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye bye.